Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we'll be looking at, at Minute 11, uh, which begins with Ripley continuing to uh, call Antarctic traffic uh, control and ends with uh, Dallas walking into the mess hall. We have a guest with us today, Todd Norris, filmmaker, cinematographer, editor, uh, is here to talk about Alien. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Well, we always start by asking our guests uh, if they can tell us about the first time they saw the movie and whether wh- whether it had any impact or, or not. Yeah, I could I can uh, pretty uh, absolutely say it had an impact on me. So uh, my story is actually kind of interesting. So um, I was in fifth grade when it came out in '79, and uh, my stepdad actually got me out of school to see this movie down at the Midland Theater downtown. And um, so I have to give credit to my stepdad for doing that. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to go by himself or whatever. But here's what he told me because I, I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's rated R. I, you know, and I've heard it's pretty scary. It looks pretty scary on those trailers. I, I don't know if I want to go. And he said, oh, I, I already saw it. It's not that scary. Let's go. So for years, I believed that story. Now I'm, it occurs to me, you know, as an adult, it just hit me that he hadn't seen the movie. He just oh. he was just trying to get me to not be freaked. So I saw the movie, of course, and it it really scared the crap out of me. I mean, it, it, <laughs> sure. it, it, it haunted my dreams for, I had alien dreams for months, maybe a year. And um, when it came out on VHS, I, or actually when it came, it was on ABC, you know, whatever, Sunday night at the movies or whatever. And I, it was a little safer, you know, to, like panned and scanned, interrupted with commercials and edited for television. It was a little safer, but it was still intense. But, um, I, I kept watching the movie on VHS sort of to conquer it. You know, there was some sort of psychological thing. I needed to see this movie more to sort of be able to conquer that that effect that it had on me. And as I kept watching it, I started to realize this is a very beautiful movie. I mean, I was already into making films, but it was more the Lucas Spielberg kind of thing that people our age kind of gravitated to. But this one was different. And um, then when it came out on Laserdisc in widescreen, that's when I remembered the impact that the original screening had on me because of just the composition and the amazing stuff that Ridley Scott and everybody did. So it, it's become one of those movies that was not only an influence just on my love of science fiction, but on filmmaking as well. I mean, I think it might have been one of the movies that drove me into wanting to be a cinematographer. It really is amazing when you think about how many years went by where we were watching films on VHS yeah. prior to the Laserdisc coming out. And so we were constantly seeing movies that were not in their proper aspect ratio. Right. Yeah, and having those memories of the original screening going like, I remember seeing something on a wall, a, a readout or something, and then when you finally saw that widescreen version again when it came out, and you're like, I knew it! There it is! It's on the other side of the frame that got cut off on VHS. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's some moments like that in Alien that aren't in these upcoming minutes, but where the they did some electronic panning and scanning in the VHS versions and actually did a move on dissolves and stuff that weren't that way. I remember that, that too. Some, yeah, yeah, strange. The ship moving across the frame at the beginning of this this minute that we're looking at and, and, the, and the scale of it is some pretty impressive model work. I wonder, you had obviously seen Star Wars by the time you saw Alien. Right? Oh, yeah. So I, I assume there you were struck by probably a difference in the way that the spaceships looked in one versus the other. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was conscious at the time. Um, but I now, mean, looking at it. But certainly now, um, there is a difference. And one of the things I think is because they didn't do motion control on Alien. Um, they just did it old-fashioned where they literally just moved the camera very slowly across mm. a model. And they did very little blue screen work as well. They actually shot a lot of it just against a black backdrop. Um, so that's one of the primary just sort of differences that you can tell. There's no mat lines yeah. Yeah. Uh, that you see. Um, and since things move much slower, it's just a, it's just a different look. I, I was watching the sort of behind-the-scenes special effects stuff, and a lot of those shots where there's no stars in the background uh, of the shots and there's actually some smoke and atmosphere in the foreground, um, Ridley was saying that he wanted that for a sense of motion, and they were saying, well, there's no atmosphere in space. And Ridley went, there is now, man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they shot the, uh, when they were shooting the Nostromo, those real tight close-ups, um, they shot it in different frame rate too, didn't they? Did you see that in your research? I read that somewhere. I think so. I uh, Yeah. And um, they, they did a combination of things. I mean, they did some really like stop motion, super slow stuff. But then I think a lot of it was just shot real time but with a specially made dolly that could move the camera just really, really slowly. Right. Um, at least that was my understanding. Um, what, what's interesting, though, is uh, well, we, is Brian Johnson was the special effects supervisor who also worked on The Empire Strikes Back. And um, originally he turned it down because he was supposed to work. You know, he said, I'm sorry, I'm working on this Star Wars sequel, this Empire Strikes Back movie. And the producer of Alien said, well, it's a Fox production also, so we'll work that out. And he got both jobs. And he actually had to leave early, I think. And then Nick Alder took over, who I believe did the special effects work on Space 1999. Yeah, yeah. Um, and was actually maybe a main DP on some of those episodes. In addition to special effects work, he might have also shot some of the live action. I'm yeah. not sure. But um, anyway, it has an interesting pedigree. Uh well, one of the reasons we wanted you to come in was to talk a little bit about the cinematography, and we can we'll certainly spread that over a few of these minutes. But do you have any sort of you know first shots across the bow in terms of of, of why the film was so unique visually? Yeah, and you know, boy, we could talk about this for hours, and maybe as these episodes progress, maybe it'll turn out to be that. But um, I think one of the one of the many reasons that Alien is considered the classic that it is today is because it really did revolutionize the look of science fiction films, I think. Um, if you look at things that came before that, certainly Star Wars was the big uh, science fiction movie right before that that um, changed the culture. If you look at Star Wars, as great as that movie is, it does have a fairly old-fashioned lighting look. And what I mean by that is that it's lit, it looks lit, like like studio lighting. It's very hard lights, which means that the lights that hit the actors or the objects cast a hard shadow and they look like they're up high on a lighting grid. And um, there's not a lot of motivated lighting, meaning that the, the the lighting on the set, it doesn't look like the light is coming from anything that you see on the set. I mean, there are a few parts sure. in Star Wars. But Alien, on the other hand, comes from a different philosophy and certainly the approach that they use to, to light it uh, is that the, the lighting on the set, the actual lights inside in the corridors or coming from from the instrument panels etc that's what it looked like was lighting the actors faces and so it had a much more naturalistic realistic look than science fiction had had before and 
And then just a simple thing, the use of smoke, which, you know, Ridley Scott and his brother Tony, of course, used in every production. And so the, the set would be smoked up and the actors would hate it because the formula back in the 70s was very noxious and there was, mm. <laughs> it wasn't as safe as it was today. And uh, so there's this sense of atmosphere that the smoke on the set creates with when it hits the light. And, um, and the light has to be coming from behind it most of the time, right? Most of the time, yeah. And what it tends to do is it gives the shot a sense of three dimension that it otherwise may not have just because the farther, basically things that are close to the camera the, the smoke doesn't have an effect. And then in the mid-ground, the, the farther away you get, the smoke starts to infect the shadows and make the shadows look lighter. So it, it gives it a sense of depth because you get a definite sense of foreground, mid-ground, and background because the smoke is making the background. So it's it's a really a... And plus it just looks cool. I'm sure that's one of the main reasons Ridley did. It was just on an intuitive well, and filmmaking if, and level. And it fits when you're down in the bowels of the ship, that, that, that walking, talking shot with... Parker and Brett as they're coming towards the camera and then move past us. There's all these lights coming on on both sides and around them, and sure, and it's and they're down in the bowels of the ship anyway, so it's so it's industrial and it's True. noisy and. But I, but I do have a feeling that uh, fundamentally Ridley Scott probably just thought this looks amazing. Yeah, <laughs> well, do you think using the smoke um, on set. Do you think that was part of the motivation for why everybody smokes so many cigarettes in this movie? <laughs> to give it a little bit of a practical connection. Because I definitely wanted to talk about cigarettes in a spaceship. Uh, we see a lot of them. It doesn't seem like a real practical thing to do. But... Yeah, but, you know, I have friends who were on submarines for years. Sure. And, and people used to smoke on submarines all the time, which talk about what sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. 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 Now, you're, now you can, I guess you can't smoke anymore, but it used to be you could smoke in submarines. Oh, yeah. I, did, I don't know about the air, the, the oxygen mixture or whatever <laughs> they use to, you know, be able to breathe on a spaceship for a period of time. I'm sure cigarettes aren't really practical for that, but definitely adds to the... You know, it gives you a practical, you know, reason for the smoke to be on the set. But, um, yeah, really established that that we talked about this a little bit last week, too, that the smoky 80s, the Scots, the Adrian mm -hmm. Lenz and people like that. And, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's funny. I mean, it pro smoke is still used a lot in movies today just for, again, the cool looks. Look at any David Fincher film, too. But it's getting much more difficult to um, explain the motivation for that. In, in the room because, hey, nobody smokes anymore. Every every place is non-smoking. In the 70s and into the 80s, you could just go, yeah, well, you know, it's a smoky bar or whatever. And, and it was, you're like, okay, fine. Um, so I think in this case, you're right, it probably does seem like a bad idea to be uh, smoking on a spaceship. But I guess you just maybe take it on faith that in the future they've got right. some nice filtration technology right. on the ship. And to be, to talk a little bit more about just the, the great script and, and the interpretation of it, I mean, the one of the things that I think they were trying to do on this movie was to make it seem more working class. I mean, these guys were, you know, they were miners. I mean, they were taking, it was a... To a, co a towing, yeah, a towing, towing vehicle. Vessel, so and they're so they're going to smoke like chimneys. And, yeah. You know, so, Space truckers. Yeah. They, yeah. they didn't want to make them the... Uh, they weren't astronauts and they weren't scientists. You know, it was not the cliché of science fiction that had come from before that. So this was one of the first films that portrayed them as ordinary sort of blue-collar guys in space. I, I like the revelation in this in this minute, this realization that they're not in their system. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's one of the things that keeps you so interested in this. You know, you're finding stuff out with the characters. You're, they're, they're realizing that they're not where they think they are 
and we're re- realizing that right along with them. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's sort of the first plot point that gets landed in this in this minute, which will ultimately get be confirmed in the in the next minute. Yeah, and we talked about in the last minute uh, in the lead up in the earlier part of the scene, we get a lot of character development with Kane with Lambert. We get um, pretty quickly figure out what their jobs are. And then the minute ends, the last minute ends, and this one begins with uh, what we can only assume at this point is Ripley's job, which uh, we deduced, uh, you know, well, is she communications officer? Is she the Ahura of the Nostromo? <laughs> um, just to throw in something I realize, this is just an aside, but she, uh, Sigourney Weaver does play the Ahura in a movie later on, if you'll remember. <laughs> oh, that's Galaxy right. Twin Quest. It, it occurred to me, uh, since we recorded this last episode, so, oh, I wonder, that's an interesting uh, connection, but... Um, There's also a tension that's really great in the scene. Yes. There's something going on between Lambert and Ripley. Yep. Uh, whether it's just Lambert being annoyed mm-hmm. or whether there's something that's deeper there. Um, but there, you know, there's this whole kind of nice, nasty thing happening between the two of them that's very interesting. Well, there's, a, there's definitely something. There's a, uh, there's a difference between their characters and in the next minute. There's going to be something I want to talk about that, that illustrates that even further. But, yeah, there seems to be something wedged between them and they both have a different approach a very distinct different approach to uh to uh, dealing with uh, the situation that they're going to be getting in but you're right and it does carry through the rest of the film you, yeah. there is that tension all the way through the rest of the movie this is the first time we see parker and brett belly aching about the situation on right? their own on yeah their i own. mean they belly ache to everyone yeah earlier, but, but but this is this is the really establishing these two as the guys that are way down below deck, mm-hmm. and who have very particular attitudes towards things. Yeah. The irony, you pointed out, is that what they're complaining about, or ostensibly, is nobody coming down there. Right. But we're going to find out not long, because <laughs> they don't want anybody coming <laughs> down there. And there's definitely a, a very specific reason I want to talk about for that when we get there. But yeah, the this belly aching about the, the brass, they never come, they don't get their hands dirty, they don't, uh, this is where the work is, he says. This is where the work is, why don't they come down here? And uh, it's classic. And even we were the fact a lot that he, about the classic uh, working class belly aching that goes on in this movie that right. I've heard a million times in my life, and his accusation that it's all because of Brett who doesn't have any personality oh, well, sure. is pretty funny too. He's which is throw it on a, again else. another laugh early on yep. for the characters, so that we warm up to them uh, and will care yeah. about how they cope with this situation. Well, we've, we've definitely gotten the three laughs. I think we've already gotten the three laughs with Brett. Yeah, right? I mean it's kind of hard not to get a laugh with. Harry Dean Harry Stanton, Stanton just being <laughs> in the frame. But um, we were talking about, uh, I don't know if Todd's... Yeah, yeah. Familiar, yeah. So we were talking about how many laughs, for, you know, try to get laughs oh, for each one of the characters and, yeah. and endear them to the audience. Was that a Howard Hawks thing? No, it wasn't. It, Is that a Mitch it Ryan wasn't. thing? No, it isn't either. It's a <laughs> film director, or it's a stage director, I know. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, this doesn't directly relate to cinematography, but since this is, I guess, the first time in the film that we're seeing Below Decks, uh, then it, it does... It's worth mentioning... Just on a uh, production design level or a storytelling level, the idea that Parker and Brett are literally below right. the officers, this sort of class division that the ship is uh, does where the officers are above deck up in the bridge and then they're relegated down yeah. to the, down like to the basement. It's just interesting visual geography. And they geography. talk about A, B, and C deck yeah. mm-hmm. uh, throughout the film. So that's, that's it's the rules and, of the game in space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're complaining about their shares. They don't get full shares, half shares. They're they're ha- having to sit there down in the basement, you know, but they do all the work fixing the damn ship and making it work, you know. All right. Well, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think that that's good for minute number 11. Um, we're going to... 
come back tomorrow. Todd, you can come back tomorrow, right? I can. Okay. Um, So if you want to check us out, uh, go to iTunes and check out the Alien Minute podcast or go to our website, alienminute.com. And you can follow us at Alien Minute Pod on Twitter. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow for minute number 12.